In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps. You can do it inside, outside, on stairs, on the road, on your treadmill. Just climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. So join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Straight Cash Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Chad Graff, and we're doing things a bit different today. We heard from a lot of you who enjoyed the episode with Joe Buck and asked about having more guests on the show. So we were lucky enough to book a big one for today's show. Jared Allen, the five-time Pro Bowler, owner of the Vikings' single-season sack record, joins the program. He gives the whole rundown of his career from... Uh, the funny story of getting kicked out of high school to coming up one sack shy of breaking Michael Strahan's record to trying briefly to make the Olympics playing badminton before switching over to curling. Uh, if you enjoy the show, let us know and we can try to book more guests, uh, but hopefully you'll find this one as fun as I did. So without further ado, here is Jared Allen. We're thrilled to welcome on now a five-time Pro Bowl or four-time All-Pro, owner of the Vikings franchise record for sacks in a single season, Uh, And it turns out in more recent years, an aspirational Olympian, Jared Allen on the treadmill, getting his steps in right now. What's going on? Oh, nothing much. Just, uh, you know, living the quarantine dream, buddy. (laughs) So, so what are you legitimately, uh, you know, getting your steps in right now? What's going on? Oh yeah. Yeah. Just on the treadmill. Uh, honestly, like my mind goes because, well, this doesn't, this isn't really much different than my normal day, my everyday life. Right. So, uh, just trying to, uh, Trying to be not one of those athletes that get super fat when they retire. <laughs> so I did that. I did that Murph's workout in honor of yep. veterans on uh, Memorial Day. And I gotta be honest, kicked my butt. So yesterday I took a break, and today I'm gonna walk and get all this lactic acid out. But you know, I'm, I'm not like a 14 and a half percent incline, so it's not like I'm just loafing. Right, right. Just so the <laughs> listeners know. Yeah, and so the listeners know the mullet is gone. What's what's the update on that? Well. Um, it's kind of coming back, you know. I'm getting to, you know, I'm just slowly, slowly letting it ducktail out the back, you know, kind of keeping. I got two little girls, so you gotta like keep it classy, but then sneak, sneak it in on them every once in a while, just so people know you're not, you know, that you don't mess around. Keep, keep the kids, keep the boys at bay a little bit. So yeah. remind them you still got the party in the quarantine's, back. Quarantine's getting rough. Uh, <laughs> gotta get my size a little cut up here. Cool part is I'm doing it myself now. So now it's just gonna be a, you know, uh, at home haircut, hockey cut. Mullet, whole, whole shebang. We'll just see where the good Lord takes us. Very nice. Well, you've had such a fascinating career that has continued even to uh, the aspirational Olympian that we mentioned and, and the curling. So I want to get to all that, but let's just go in chronological order if we can. Um, yeah. Your career and all of that. So 
let's go back to high school. I don't even know the full story, but there's some sort of mishap with you're a big time recruit in California. You've grown up on the ranch. Football's going well. You're starting to get some offers. You commit to Washington. And then there's some sort of miscommunication or, or mishap with the yearbook thing. And next thing you know, uh, the Washington offer is gone. Is, is that right? Or how did that go? Um, yeah, I mean, you pretty much nailed it. <laughs> Brain gone wrong. You know, we, we thought it'd be funny to steal all the yearbooks. I was a junior, not a senior, but uh, football team, a whole bunch of people. We all knew people on the yearbook staff at school. So, you know, we got our yearbooks for free, took a couple extra, sold a couple on the side. Um, you know, just dumb, dumb kid stuff. It didn't, didn't work out in my favor. So, I uh, <laughs> recently we got, we got, we got, we got caught. I didn't rat on anybody, took it like a champ, and uh, ended up getting kicked out of uh, the school I was at. And I was on an interdistrict transfer, and I got pulled. And um, long story short, I ended up losing like 13 four-ride scholarships that I had, or potential four-ride scholarships that I had. Went, went up to Los Gatos, um, and then ended up, you know, I, I, I got to give you know, Coach Lou and Coach Ray from Idaho State model a lot of credit, um, is that, you know, they – they were at my door, like, they were at my house all the time, right? And, um, you know, they really stole my dad and, and all that stuff about being a bigger fish at a smaller pond, yada, yada, yada. But just great people. Fell in love with Coach Ray, fell in love with Coach Lou, and ended up going to Idaho State. So it all works out in the end. And, uh, but yeah, not, wasn't, wasn't making the best decisions, you know? I, I, it's crazy in hindsight that something like that would have cost you all those scholars. We thought it was scholars. funny. It obviously right. turned out not to be funny. We thought it was funny, though. <laughs> So then you go to Idaho State, and it, it doesn't start out great right away. Um, I saw a funny quote that you had someone once asked you how many fights you got in while you were there, and you said, "What you got a calculator handy? Yeah, um, it was tough, man. I remember, like, like, so even though I grew up on a ranch in California, still in California, you got everything at your fingertips, right? And going to a small town in Idaho, it was just different. I mean, you know, just, I mean, things closed on Sundays and in a predominantly Mormon in their town. And, you know, I'm used to having the beach 15 minutes away. But my mom, I mean, I my dad, my mom and stepdad, they were in the city. And so this dynamic was just weird. And, and people there thought, you know, the California kids were taking, you know, scholarships by Idaho kids and all this good stuff. But uh, it, was, it, was, it was a tough transition. Then you're 18, right? You're going to live on your own, trying to have fun. You're trying to balance life and responsibility. And, you know, we were big meat sticks. And so it was, you know, it was football, you know, pretty much. We were pretty much like we were in a frat. We were in a frat. It was, it was, it was football and partying. And school fell somewhere in the middle, and uh, hanging out. And if we meant we got into trouble, we got into trouble. And uh, that seemed to be the cycle we were on for, for a few years. So, and, and somehow you decide not to transfer. I think I read that your dad essentially talked you into not transferring to UCLA, where you had a bunch of buddies. Yes, um, yeah, So our offensive coordinator, sophomore year, our offensive coordinator, uh, Coach Bresta, went to SC. And uh, he called me. He's like, hey, we got a scholarship for you if you want to come down. So I went in and uh, called my dad, told him, I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to transfer. You know, and uh, he was like, all right, you got to go talk to Coach Lou and you got to you know, be a man and tell him why you want out. Said. So I was like, I'm just going to you know, tell him, hey, Coach, I'm going to quit football. I'm going to go home, work on the ranch. <laughs> like, I'm just done. And uh, my dad said, no, nah, you got to man up and do it the right way. So I go tell Coach Lou. He's like, man, I can't let my best player go. Take the weekend, my buddy. Eddie Johnson was a friend of mine. He played with the Vikings as well, punter. You know, he basically was like, we got so much to accomplish. You haven't accomplished everything here, so 
why do you want to pick up and, and leave, right? And um, so I go in, decided to stay. I mean, it was like, you know, deadline passed. It was like, I'm like, it was like, we'll talk to me on Monday. You know, let the whole, let everything pass. So I went in, said, all right, I'm going to stay, accomplish things this way. So we're laughing. He's like, no, man, you would have told me you were going home just to live on the ranch and, 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 and quit football. I would have just signed your lease. I'm like, ah, come on, pops. <laughs> but it worked out great. It really did. You know what? I'm a firm believer. Things happen in life for a reason, right? And uh, throughout my life, things have happened to force me to grow up. And luckily for me, you know, I grew up, grew up in church, grew up with a Christian family. And I'm not going to say, you know, I told people a lot of times I used to be on this heart rate monitor, you know, through life. But in those, in those dips, I tell you what, you always found a way to, to, to put somebody there or an event there to get me back to the level. And uh, it really was something that I needed, you know, to stay there, learn to grow up, learn to mature in that environment at that time, and ended up doing and ended up being able to refocus and, and accomplish a lot, you know, through 1AA and just in, in college and in history or in general. And um, so it worked out well. Who knows what would have happened if I went to SC? I would have been a red shooting. You know, who knows if he lost in the shuffle or not. But um, I'm a firm believer that things happen for a reason. And I tell you what, at that time, those events really stabilized me and really focused on myself, on me, and to be the, uh, you know, to be the best college player I could be at that time. And so then you go on to be the defensive player of the year. It's time to get ready for the draft now. You put up great numbers. And then somehow you're labeled as a long snapper at that point. I guess, one, <laughs> how the hell did that yeah. happen? Well, I was a really good long snapper. Uh, <laughs> I told you all the time, I was probably the best long snapper in the NFL that no one knew about. Um, so I was, I was a really good long snapper. I, I've been doing that since I was eight. My dad taught me. Uh, I think, you know, again, as a kid, you don't, you don't think about the long term. That's right. You know, again, now, now, now that I'm a parent, you're, you become your parents, right? Trying to, trying to teach your kids about foresight. But, um, yeah, so what happens is, you know, like all these numbers, you're going to have that small school stigma on you. You're going to have this. And then you guys, so you got to answer all these dumb things you did, <laughs> which most people thought they were funny. You know, it's typical meat stick stuff. Playing football, you're going out, you're getting fights, you're in trouble, and it is what it is, you know, it's kind of stuff like that. But then, so you're answering those questions. Luckily for me, I don't think long snapping is what – kept everybody really dialed in because I don't, you know, I don't think anybody, you know, they can say all they want, you know, Vermeil and uh, when they draft me, they're like, we brought you here to play defensive end as well. We want you to obviously pass rush. We want you to do both. But I think people thought I was going to be a, a premier, you know, long snapper throughout my years in the career. None of them, you know, right off the bat, I was like, oh, we're going to take this kid from Idaho State and he's going to have 136 sacks, you know. Um, so I think, but I think that's what kept people interested through those times of having to dealing with your checkered past. And, um, but yeah, so that's, I rode that long snapping wave right into the Chiefs training camp until I, until I started week six. <laughs> and then now that I'm thinking about it, you got into games where you were long snapping, including with the Vikings. Oh yeah. Like there's, yep. So I got in Kansas city, I had to long snap a couple of times and the Vikings had launched their Colin Brooks is back and uh, crushed it. Yeah. yeah. As you can ask, you know, Gamma, Kim is always like, yeah, it finally, Kendall was my biggest advocate because we had punters that always wanted to practice. And, you know, Frank Gantz, I love Frank Gantz Jr. Great. was one of my favorite teams coaches because he was always – and then um, I was lucky in my career. A lot of my stretch leaves coaches I had from, like, when I was in Minnesota, Mike Prefer, was I had Prefer Kansas City my last couple of years. Then he was in Minnesota. So they knew what I could do, so they didn't really make me practice all that much. Um, but, yeah, Kendall was always the one that would tell people, he was like, just leave him alone. He's actually better – 
the lesson practice is just, <laughs> just let it be. So I can go out there, rifle back, go run down the field and hit somebody. And as an aside, one of sort of the infamous plays was you and Ray Edwards. Is it true yeah. that you're long snapping for that play? You've played yeah. with him in the past. You've seen him essentially take runs at long snappers, and you look at him and you're like, hey, if you effing run me here, I will punch you, you know where. And sure enough, he runs you there, and you do as you said. Oh, yeah. He, <laughs> he told me, he was like, he was like Jay, he's like, I'm going to smash you. I'm like, dude, I'm going to hit you right in your junk, bro. <laughs> like, you, you smash me, you're giving one right to the old kisser. <laughs> so, of course, he stayed true to his word, and I think I gave him a little love tap in the junk. <laughs> <laughs> That's outstanding. So then the start of Kansas City uh, goes pretty well. And um, I guess we can fast forward all the way to 2007. You're coming off your first all-pro season. Uh, contract talks, you know, don't seem to be going all that well. At that point, are you thinking, you know, hey, these guys might trade me? Or are you still thinking this is how negotiations work? We're far apart now. No, I had, I had, no, I had, no, I had no plans of ever leaving Kansas City. Um, you know, it really started in, in 06, right? Again, you know, immaturity caught up with me again. And uh, like I said, there's those things in life that, that put you back in check. And, um, you know, 06 was a big year for my, I mean, my, my, my entire, my change my life, you know, and um, just about responsibility growing up. And so, you know, obviously people can hear, everybody knows, you know, you got in trouble. But, um, but it was a reality check. It really was. It was a reality check, not as a kid anymore, right? You're an adult. You got to be responsible. And here I am asking a team to invest in me. And for me to be the face of this organization, for me to, you know, represent them as well as myself. And uh, my grandfather was was great. He said, uh, he's, God rest his soul, he passed now. He said, I didn't drag this last name through three wars so you could F it up. <laughs> I said, all right, well, he makes, he makes a strong point. So no I went pressure there. I said, you know, in 06, I said, hey, you know what, let's table these talks. Let me prove to you guys that, listen, that I'm through all this nonsense. Get, you know, get, get my life on track, get back to what I know I am as a, as a human being, and obviously ended up having a phenomenal year in 2007. And, you know, there was confidential talks that started getting leaked into the press. There was things that, you know, promises made on one end that weren't coming to true on the other end. And so, you know, it was one of those deals where you just kind of feel like I'm in this new chapter. I'll tell you what, thank God they did because we tried to extend in like 06 and the, the contract would have been minimal compared because right. the white free hadn't got that massive, massive contract yet. So Freddie comes out, gets that contract. Now, obviously, our negotiating standpoint changes. Men numbers are better than him at that time. Right. And so, <laughs> so it worked out. And, um, and actually, you know, I, I, I do have, I still have to give the Chiefs credit. Um, I called Clark and I just said, hey, here's where I'm at. Obviously, Carl and I aren't seeing eye to eye. He said, this is a new deal with Carl. That's how we do it. I told him, well, we're at, we're at an impasse now to where I don't feel, and as a young player, I, as a just, First, I'll run through a brick wall for you if I trust you, right? I just didn't, you know, that that, that trust wasn't there. I, I didn't know anything about the business side yet, and this is my first experience with it. So, like, I asked him to ask him to trade me, um, and, and he obviously said we were able to work out a deal in uh, with Minnesota, and it was just he said it couldn't have been it couldn't have been a better fit for me. You know, just kind of where Minnesota's organization was, with Brad Childress, uh, Rick, and the, and the guys I got to go play with, man, it had such a huge impact not on my career. In my life, I mean, me and Chili are still dear friends. Um, you know, Kevin Williams, all those guys, we still talk. Coach Dunbar, like, it, it was such a cool, cool, cool group to go to, especially at that time in my career where, you know, you lead the league sacks, and now there's, there's nothing but expectations, right? And so I think for me, also making that move help because it put a new 
put a new focus on me. Here you are. Don't get paid and be a bum. Right? Right. <laughs> Don't go to a new city and be a bum. So, and those guys were so competitive that it really drove me to be an even better version of what I was uh, in 07. So your first season in Minnesota is 2008. You get the contract. You're an all-pro again. There's probably a ton I could ask you about that season. And yet the one play that I want to ask you, of course, is the infamous one. You get one of your sacks by chasing down, I guess not even chasing down, by chasing after Dan Orlovsky, who runs through the end zone. All these years later, Orlovsky now, you know, pokes fun at himself for that play. Uh, what do you remember about how that play happened? I, I watched it back this morning. You actually <laughs> point at Dan as he's running through the end of the end zone. Like, well, I, anybody I else beat, see this? I beat my guy. I can't remember if it was a tackle or the tight end. They tried to leave me backside on, and uh, I beat him pretty quick. And uh, I remember watching, you know, Dan take off to the right. And I'm thinking he's going to, you know, run it out of bounds. But I saw, like I said, I see him step out of bounds. And I'm, in my head, I'm laughing. <laughs> I'm trying to tell the ref, like, hey. He said, because Dan didn't only step out of bounds. He, just, he kept running. Yeah. So he, in my mind, he thinks the play's still going. The ref, I'm like, I'm trying to make sure the ref knows that he just stepped out of bounds as a safety. And then I'm cracking up because I'm like, this is actually going to be my – <laughs> looking around i'm the closest one because i'm the closest one too just like a tackle you force a guy out of balance you get the tackle so dude we were cracking up and i think in that game too kevin i think kevin williams had like four sacks in that game and so he had he had jumped out to like six sacks quick on me and i'm thinking like oh man i'm beating my sacks with a d tackle <laughs> i mean kevin's a stud i wasn't about to let that happen so, the, <laughs> so we're louder he come back and he's, he's all on my face about it like, oh, you got to be kidding me. I'm over here getting double-tipped, and you're getting, you're getting freebies <laughs> running out the back of the end zone. <laughs> I think I don't like my number two that game. I can't remember, but we were cracking up, and, uh, yeah, I was able to close the gap on camp just a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Um, so then I guess we'll, we'll go into 2009, um, sort of a, a crazy season in terms of how it all came together, what the result was and all of that. But as – you know, it becomes clear that Brett Favre is an option. Do you remember, you know, what the attitude of the team was? For years, the Vikings had had, you know, some big games against Brett Favre. He was a rival. Was there any bit of, like, why are we bringing in this guy that we've hated for years? Or was it just like, hey. No, I mean, that's at this point, in my career at least now, you know, I understand the business side of things and I understand what, what it is to have a, have a quarterback. You know, we had Trent Green uh, when I first got to Kansas City. And – you know, the ability to score points is a, is a huge deal in the NFL, right? And uh, makes it a little easier to, to get after the quarterback and, uh, and play defense. So knowing the fact that, you know, in 2008, you know, we were going back between, I think it was the Gus Farad and Tavares Jackson. Um, none of them seemed to really, you know, solidify the position 100%. I mean, and, and on hindsight, actually, we're well because it seemed like when one was, was kind of down, the other one was up. And it made it, it made a good, uh, you know, kind of a good yin and yang situation there. But, you know, we knew that if you get a franchise quarterback, a true leader, I mean, that's a game changer. We knew our defense was amazing. We had the core of our team still like, in their prime. You know, you even look at that interior offensive line at the time. Um, Adrian's in his prime. I mean, you got, you know, we had, we get Percy. I don't think anybody expected Percy to be as great as he would be that rookie year. Like, you know, she was a, huge playmaker in college, but what that did too, then you opened up, you got to see the full potential of Sidney Rice, and now, given our bearing, I mean, that dude could just take the top off of anybody, so having a quarterback that could consistently get those ball 
and then and to be that type of a leader was insane. So we were excited. I, I still remember when he came, our faces were all glued. I mean, he had all pros, right? Everybody drooling <laughs> up against the window watching <laughs> Brett come in. Like, like just all, drive in. I always say there's a few there's a few athletes that are generational. There's a few athletes that like famous people want to hang out with, right? You know, I say you know you made it when yeah. when like when a celebrities want to hang out with that that athlete. <laughs> um, and Brett was that guy. And then to see him come in, to see the work ethic, then to understand why he was so great, you know. And he took charge. He led that team, and um, you know it was phenomenal years. One of the most fun I've ever had playing football. The Straight Cash Podcast is brought to you by Hawthorne. Are you still walking into the mall and overwhelmed by how and where to buy cologne? Well, then we've got the solution for you. Hawthorne is a one-of-a-kind way to buy the right cologne. And we all know, especially in these summer months, how important that is. Getting Hawthorne cologne is so easy. All you have to do is take a quick two-minute quiz, and Hawthorne tells you the two colognes that are best for you. They provide you one for work and one for play. It's totally risk-free with free shipping and free returns. And let's face it, it would make a great Father's Day gift too and probably better than whatever tie you were thinking for, Dad. All you have to do is check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com. So go to hawthorne.co and use my promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. That's hawthorne.co with the promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co. The Straight Cash Podcast is also brought to you by Hydrant. Did you know that 75% of us are walking around everyday life chronically dehydrated? We're suffering needlessly from frequent headaches, energy slumps, and poor focus. It doesn't have to be this way. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets that you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a pack for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com slash football. That's drinkhydrant.com slash football for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com slash football. Week four, he obviously gets his chance at, at payback uh, against the Packers. Monday night game. Is it true? I heard the story. Is it true that he texted you before the game, maybe a few days before the game or something, and just said, hey, you know, be on your game. Get after this, Roger. Yeah, it was, uh, I believe it was either he might have been Saturday night. He was just like, hey, I, 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 need, you, I need you tomorrow night or Sunday night, Monday night football. And uh, I was like, man, okay. So then I was like, all right, well, then I'll have to be really good. There was already enough pressure that I had like a third string. They had moved or Darren College, the starting guard, out to tackle. So I'm like, just to face you. Yeah. I'm like, and you know how it all works. You think in your mind, like, oh, man, this is going to be great. This dude's been getting eaten up. They've been giving up stacks like crazy all year. When they come to face you, they're gonna, now they're going to max pro. They're going to chip. <laughs> so it's really not going to pressure. I better beat the guy who's never, who doesn't play left tackle. I can't be him. I don't I should be a pro ball. And then it's on Monday Night Football. And then Brett, arguably the greatest quarterback ever, to text him and say, um, I need you so we can win this game. Like, oh. I said, I told you, like, oh. 
either that he was either nervous or he's the best motivator ever. Uh, <laughs> it worked. So it worked, man. It, it gave you a little extra juice. And, you know, when you got a teammate that specifically asks you to be on your game, and he probably texts everybody that. But, uh, right. <laughs> no, I tell you what, it was one of those things where it was like, all right, man, I got your back. And that was, like, that was my response. I got your back. Like, let's go do it. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to hold up my end of the bargain. Yeah. That 2009 season, you know, as we mentioned, was a crazy season. Another all-pro season for you. The whole team is clicking. Um, we did a fan survey a few weeks ago and asked all Vikings fans what was the most painful loss that they've experienced. And 2009 uh, yeah. tied for first. That, that championship game, what do you remember? How do you look back on it? Just sort of the craziness of that entire game. I was talking to Lever just the other day, and I still replay that fourth and one mm-hmm. in overtime. I think it was Chad came over the top. They met. I saw the ball go, fumble go backwards. Can't advance the football. They grab it. They second out, you know, whatever. They get the first down. Um, yeah, I mean, it was heartbreaking. It was, again, there was enough mistakes made by both teams to lose that game. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I think we had five fumbles, and they had, like, four or something. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you go down. It was such – I think the reason why it was such an emotional swing, we go from literally about a chip shot field goal to, to going to the Super Bowl. I mean, people are pretty – already celebrating pretty much on the sidelines to wait, hold on. We just threw an interception and then not like flip your mindset. We got to get, we got to get a stop. And that game, I think is so crazy too, because so many things changed in the NFL based on that game, mm-hmm. which sucks because they look at it and they're like, wow, not so sure that the, you know, the right team won or lost there, but you got all this, you know, all the, you know, whatever gate comes out of that, right. You know, uh, bounty gate. Bounty gate yeah. you got that nonsense that comes out of it. You have now, Overtime rules changed because of it. So, for me, I, it, was, it, was, it was devastating to be that close. I mean, it took me even hard. It took me seven years to finally get to a Super Bowl. So, that's why I tried to, you know, football is such a great sport. I think it's one of the best sports because, you know, basketball, you can kind of predict which, which teams are going to make it back, barring injuries, right? Football, some of the greatest teams, you know, unless you're New England dynasty, I mean, 2009, if we go and win that Super Bowl, we're probably talking about as one of the greatest teams in the NFL, yep. you know, in NFL history. But we don't, so no one remembers you. And then we have the same team back in 2010, and we won six games. Right. So that's what's been so cool about the NFL. It's constantly changing. But, yeah, I mean, that, that, that season was great. That game was heartbreaking. But you know what? It's uh, – it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. And that 2010 season was crazy in its own right, a completely oh, different way. The polar opposite, yeah. Right. Statistically, I guess, a bit of a down year for you if you can call 11 sacks that. But that what? starts to get people wondering, like, is he over the hill now? What is happening? Is his game slipping? And that is what sets the stage for 2011. So just take us to that offseason before 2011. Are you pissed? Are you what? What are you at? Just mentally? yeah, um, I, I, you know it's funny because that started like, that outside noise started creeping into the uh, into the organization. I remember Rick one time was like, "We got to get you off the field. We got to make sure you're rested." I said, "Rick, you pay me for Sunday. Right. You want to rest me? Rest me during the week. You got me playing sixty snaps from Thursday and you know Wednesday and Thursday and Friday." Right. Um, yeah, I had eleven sacks that year, and that's for me. That's always been a, a thing that's always been a chip on my shoulders. That. I never made the Pro Bowl unless I had 12 or more, right? I watched guys with like five or six sacks going to the Pro Bowl. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. It's seven straight years of double digits and five Pro Bowls. So I just, it was one of those things where I was, I was a little pissed going to that season. I was just, the whole season was just chaos. And then we go into the lockout. So there's just crazy amounts of distractions. But, um, you know, and I had, and I later, late in 2010, 
it was actually when I had torn my labrum. I played in 2011 with a torn labrum. And uh, by the time I knew it was jacked up, it was too late to get surgery for 11. And uh, so my workouts were kind of modified. I mean, I was like, I was mountain biking like 20 miles a day. You know, could only incline this, but I think the lockout was kind of nice too because I was able to clear my head, not have to have the pressure of the coaches on, hey, you're coming back real change, you're doing this. I got to spend a lot of time with my trainers and my family. And yeah, I was, I was motivated. I was motivated just through, uh, not, not that come in, you think you're going to get 22. I mean, every year I wanted to set the stack record. But it was one of those years where you're just, not, not that there was any doubt in my mind, but I, I'm always trying to better than you from the year before. Always trying to find a way to get better. And I think like that year before, I think Ware had like 19 or something like that. Or, you know, he was, he was pushing. I've always been chasing Ware. I always, you know, me being, me having the most sacks since the time I came in the league was always important to me. So there was just a lot of you know, external motivation. Proved naysayers was wrong. Uh, Proved let the organization know that I still got it. And uh, I, think, I think I was more pissed off that 11 sacks wasn't good enough for people. Right, right. You know? And so, you know, I was like, well, let's go see what we got. So you see what you got in week 17 rolls around. You're three and a half sacks from Michael Strahan's season, single sack record, two and a half from breaking Chris Dolman's franchise record. He's at the game and you break his record in the third quarter, sends the stadium into a huge round of applause. Um, and so watching that back, that was obviously cool. But then the flip side of it is suddenly you're a sack from the all-time single season record. I think five minutes left in the third quarter. So you know they're leading. So who knows how many – Times, uh, I think it was Josh McCown was a quarterback. How many times yeah. he's going to drop back? But do you, I guess at that point, you probably couldn't have gone to him and just be like, hey, man, just pull a far for me. Help you me know out. There was, there was a couple of times he could have. He rolled out on one, right? He could have He could have ran out of bounds. Every time. They got dove and, like, hit his foot, right, as he, like, flipped the ball out of bounds. The one I remember, though, there was that one. And time was running down. I think it might have been the fourth quarter. They got into a set, and I knew I was going to be one-on-one with the tight end, so I can't. Got outside of him. I took off and I slipped. I was one on one with the tight end, and I slipped coming out of my stance. The ball was out. I was like, you know what? And then we got the then we got the pick, right? We ended up going up. I think we got the pick at the end. Try to go for it, and uh, you know, my, now you know, being with the Bears and talking to people, people are like, there was no way they said they're like, we are not letting that dude hit this record on us. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it was been it would have been crazy. I tell you the one I missed the most, and, and me and Aaron Rodgers when I see him, we still laugh about it. The Monday night Green Bay game in Green Bay. I ended up having two sacks that game. They took one away from me on Wednesday, right? They called it a muff. Oh. So Aaron caught the ball, <laughs> came forward, he dropped the ball, right? Picks it up, takes off running. I tackle him, sack. Well, Wednesday, they give it a team sack because they said it was a muff, took it from me. That was my 23rd sack. And had they not taken that away, here you are, single season record. Maybe it's you yeah, on Good Morning America or whatever show he's on. <laughs> yeah. So, but it was great. That, that Chicago game, I think. I mean, obviously, I wasn't expecting to get four and a half sacks in that right. game, but we had some friends in town. It was already, obviously, a great season. More importantly, I was trying. You got to remember, Jason Babin and Ware had, I think I was at 18 at the time, or 18 and a half and 19. They were like right behind. One had 17, one had 18. So, I was trying to be the first person to be. You know, two time, or I was trying to join the group of people that lead the lit up Bell and Sacks twice, right? And uh, there was only a handful of people that had done it. And so I was just trying not to lose that lead. Right. I was talking to my buddy, like, you nervous? I said, here's the deal. I said, all I need to know is I got this tune. Like, things are going to be weird tomorrow. It's either going to be insanely good or insanely bad. I just don't know which way it's going yet. 
I'm either going to try so hard and I'm going to fail so miserably, <laughs> or it's just going to all come together and we're going to see what happens. And it all came together and uh, it, was, it was a fun game. That's great. And around this time, you know, it seems uh, from pictures, you're driving a pink Cadillac with like these big horns around the front that come out. How <laughs> did you... it, was, it was snowing in Minnesota, so that, that, car, was in, uh, that car was in Arizona. Kept that in I Arizona? That <laughs> I still got that car, by the way. How, where did you get that? How often did you drive it? What's the story in that car? So I never brought it to Minnesota because it snowed okay. so much. But, um, I got that car my second year, third year in Kansas City. And a fan gave me the big bullhorns to put on the front. Um, so, yeah, I had the car built. You know, one of those things you spend way too much money on. Right, right. You're young, you're dumb, you enjoy all the attention. And then when you get older, you're like, crap, I can't get rid of the car. I spent too much money on it, and now I don't want all the attention. <laughs> That's <laughs> good. The kids love it now. We go to school dances, and now, you know, That's so good. in the car, I go cruise around. What year is it? It's a 69. Beautiful, beautiful, of course. Um, and not to, I guess – yada yada through the rest of the time but it's a vikings podcast so your career goes on go to the bears um then the panthers i guess we'll just wrap up the nfl side with the panthers that season what was it like just being a part of that uh it was it was was phenomenal man i mean coach rivera that whole organization was phenomenal and you know i I had an old after i you know after i came got into free agency um you know i was going to sign with seattle and, you know, I had Denver offered me. Things didn't really work out for me to get up there. And Seattle came in and was going to – just couldn't get the, the numbers right with Seattle. What a great organization there, too. And uh, I was like, you know what, I'm done. I'm just going to retire Viking. I was going to retire for 10 years anyways. And I didn't really feel the need to keep playing. And uh, Bears called me, really kind of just gave me everything I went through. Obviously, everybody knows we got 14. The Bears it was just kind of an explosion. Foxy came in, obviously got the trade to Carolina. The whole goal is the only reason I want to play is in the last few years of Minnesota, it just it was a struggle, right? You go from having 2008, 2009, even 10 with all the drama, but even like 11, like that core unit of guys was there. Team starts getting older, starts falling apart. It's just not as much fun anymore. Uh, I just wanted to finish my year having fun playing football. And I'll tell you what, Carolina was that. It was, and it's one of those other moments in your life where it was the least successful statistical year I'd ever had playing football. But it's the most success I'd ever had playing football. You know, and uh, just just a great core group of guys from from top to bottom. And, and I loved it. It was an absolute blast. And I got to finish in the Super Bowl, you know, in my hometown. And uh, it was phenomenal. Too bad we didn't win it. But, you know, I, I get to look at my second place ring and cry every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, amazingly, everything you've done since – the NFL career ended to me is, you know, just as fascinating, if not more fascinating. So uh, I don't even know where to start. You've, you've run with the bulls. You've bungee jumped in New Zealand. You've harvested a boar with your bare hands. Uh, clearly you're an adrenaline junkie, but is there one activity could be one of those could be something different that made you think like, shit, what am I doing? This, this is insane. Uh, uh, no, I, I, I honestly, I, I'm not even an adrenaline junkie. You know, it's calculated. It's all very calculated. I just like to have fun. Those are my younger days. But um, no, yeah, I think trying to make the Olympics, I'm like, what am I doing? I took a bet from my buddy. And, uh, you know, good thing is I get to spend a lot of time back in Minnesota when, when right. we're curling. And, yeah. uh, so trying to make the Olympics as a curler has been a challenge in, in all of itself. But I tell you what, it's fun. It pushes you mentally, gets you outside your comfort zone. And it really is a really fun sport. Like I said, I think it just happened to be where, you know, we spend most of our time back at clubs in Minnesota. So. 
I know a bunch of people got a lot of great support, and uh, you know, that, that's just kind of where it is. But that's probably the, the one where I'm like, you know, you go to a tournament, you get stopped. You're like, why am I here? I could be just chilling. I hope you'd be on vacation with the fam right now. What am I doing? It seems easy to talk you into something via bet. I think the mullet started with yeah. trying to make well, it. I'm all right. So I'm, I'm very I'm hyper-competitive. Earlier, the drill and drill, I'm hyper competitive. So, there you go. like a challenge to do something, I have to do it. And the the curling thing is so fascinating to me because at least how I picture it. And correct me if I'm wrong. Is you're sitting out on the patio one night, you got a cocktail with a buddy, and somehow the Olympics come up. You pour another cocktail. You know, screw you. I I can make the Olympics if you give me four years to try. No, you couldn't. You start researching stuff. Oh yeah. So I mean, well, it was a, it was a bet parlayed about making a PGA Tour event, right? My golf game wasn't. I'm a decent golfer, but like there's, there's decent and then there's where you need to be. And I'm not there. And so he's like, you can't do it. I was like, bro. So yeah, we started, we started talking to the Olympics. I get these grandier gestures after watching Eddie the Eagle. And I'm like, I'm just going to pick a sport we're not very good at. And then, you know, of course we wouldn't, we would go win the gold that, that following year. And I'd be like, oh, but I'm already committed. And so I just dove in. And I got to be honest, the curling world is so cool. Everybody's so friendly. Schuster's been great, you know. You know, I talked to him and Hamilton and, and just the entire curling world has been welcoming and, uh, you know, and, and we take it serious. I think that's what think people see. Like, we're not there to joke around. We legit take it serious, train our butts off, and then I'm hyper-competitive. I may or may not have broke a few brooms already because I'm pissed off when we lose. Right. <laughs> if you don't know that story, fans, it's definitely worth checking out. Essentially, he's gotten Mark Bulger and a couple other NFL guys, and, and they're trying to train, and they played Matt Hamilton, the, the famous – uh, curler who won gold, but I guess the part of that that you know I, I'm interested to know is I heard a story that before you decided on curling as the sport that you were going to do to make the Olympics, well, you, I'm going to do badminton instead. So I guess one, how did you decide on badminton over some other sports, and two, how did badminton go? Well, hey, I mean, like anybody, I got you know I got family up there, you know, Lake House in Minnesota, was North Dakota. We all grew up playing badminton, I mean, and. Uh, Second of all, it's just like it's a sport we get, we're not very good at. Right? Right. So, so, so I was like, oh, I can do this. I'm athletic. I'm tall. My hair's a hot mess. Sort of. <laughs> I'm athletic. I'm tall. Like I got this. And um, turns out, so we started watching, you know, video. Well, I was going to do singles, right? Because I was like, I've never done like a, I've never been done an individual sport. I, I want to do an individual sport. So I was like, I'm, I started looking at singles. Bad, and my, my wife was like, you should at least have a buddy like do it with you, right? I'm like, all right, cool. Have we national like. So I'm Mark, I hadn't researched badminton yet. I, mean, I signed up for USA Badminton. I just sent an email. I was just like, I'm in. <laughs> so, you know, Mark's like, yeah, man. So then we start watching all these doubles matches. I'm watching these dudes fly around the court. I'm like, so I'm going to get hurt. Like, I already ruptured my L5 twice. Like, I don't need, I don't need this again. And then having so to tell the former players that you did it in badminton. Yeah, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, this is, this is aggressive. Mark calls me. He's like, He's like, I can't do that. My body can't handle that. He's like, this is way more movement than I thought it was going to take. So we looked at curling. I'm like, we have four years instead of two now. Right. So I'm like, and right there in the guidelines, it's like, oh, the winner or the, the winners buy the losers beer. I'm like, hey, game on. <laughs> Most people start when they're 40. I'm like, listen, I'm an athlete. I can learn this. I, I definitely got something on this, guys. We're retired. We can focus all of our time on it. We got this. And, and what's the update? How is the curling going? Well, with COVID, it's non-existent right now. Right. So this was going to be a big year for us. Everything kind of gets shifted back. So, um, you know, guys are still in. We're just kind of waiting to play it by ear and see what's happening. And uh, 
well, yeah, man, I'm still all in. Like, once they, once they figure this thing out and they get treatments, they get this thing knocked out to, towards safe to be places, then uh, we're, we're back in. Yeah. And before we let you go, um, 2021 could be a big year for you. It's the first year that you'll be eligible for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. What are your thoughts on just that whole process, what, what it would mean to you, um, or any other thoughts that you have on, on your first year of eligibility? Yeah, man, it's, it's, it's humbling just to, you know, be talking about it, you know, as much as I've been talking about it lately. Um, I think, you know, that's, you don't, it's, it's the greatest individual that there is, you know, obviously that's, that's not the reason why I play football. I mean, I play, whenever I do, I want to be the very best at. So obviously accolades are important to the standpoint that it's, it's a measure, it's a measuring stick of, of what you've done. Um, for me, it's always been about the respect of my peers and the respect of those who played before me. And, um, and, and if the fans, the people that pay the money that, you know, that, that allow us to do what we did for a living to play, play a game and, and to, and to live our, you know, childhood dreams out and make a good living doing it. Um, those have always been the reasons why, why I've played and, and just to be the best. And so with that alone, you know, like I said, you know, I've, I've got the, I've got the ability to meet so many former players that I watched growing up as kids and to hear them be like, man, we respect the way you do it. To talk to players I played against and, 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 and share, you know, the battles back and forth and laugh and joke and, and knowing that, you know, it was always going to be a hard match no matter what, right? We're, gonna, we're never going to give up. Uh, that, but with that said, I mean, the Hall of Fame is the Hall of Fame. I'd be a liar if I said it wasn't amazing. It wouldn't, you know, absolutely jump at the opportunity and to potentially be a first ballot would be even more amazing. I make the joke. I say, hey, listen, I got no problem being an asterisk in Peyton's class. Unfortunately, uh, <laughs> I should have retired one year earlier or one year later because they got, you know, He's going to get all the shine. Yeah, they got, they got Peyton, they got Charles, they got, right. you know, who else? I think Megatron, like, you know, and not to mention whoever's coming left over still. Right. Uh, there's so many great players that, that obviously deserve being there. And so, you know, the writers and uh, they'll, they'll, they'll do what they feel is best, and I'm okay with that. So, for me, it's, it's again, just being in the talk and, and, you know, hopefully one day to get in. But, I mean, you know, hey, if, if someone's got to be the asterisk, let me be me. I'll, 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 I'll give the first speech. So, it, it, it would be the most tremendous honor. It would be a – It'd be a childhood dream come true. I think it's one of those moments where you finally can say you've arrived. I've always lived my life like never feeling like you've arrived, and that's what keeps you pushing. That's what keeps you going. Uh, I think if you make the Hall of Fame at the highest levels of all levels, then you can finally say that individually you arrived. Um, so yeah, it'd be it'd be amazing. It'd be an honor again. You know, I tell my kids I, I don't I don't cry often, but they might seem to cry. <laughs> Well, Jared, this has been awesome. Thank you so much uh, for joining the show from the treadmill, getting the steps in. So thank you so much for joining. Oh, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Take care. All right, thanks. Bye. Well, it was a blast to catch up with Jared Allen. Hopefully you enjoyed the show. Uh, and as always, thanks so much for listening to the Straight Cash Podcast.